Welcome to the MSEC podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the generous support from the Naval Officers Spouses Club of San Diego. My name is Marie McGarry, and I'm today's guest host. Joining me today are Dee Bosworth and JoLynn Lee, two instructors from STOMP, specialized training of military parents, to chat about the important role that parents have in advocating for their loved ones with exceptional needs. Ladies, thank you both so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having us today. Thank you for the honor of joining you. Dee, for those of us not familiar with your organization, would you share briefly about STOMP's mission and some of the services you offer? Absolutely. STOMP is an acronym. It stands for Specialized Training of Military Parents. And STOMP is actually a project under the Department of Defense and the Parent Training and Information Center of Washington State, known as PAVE. Our goal with STOMP is to provide information and resources to military parents, individuals with disabilities, and military personnel so that they can better access both medical and educational services. And we take that mission very seriously. We want to enhance connections and the knowledge of all of our attendees at our STOMP workshops and webinars in order to foster collaborative environments with the professionals that serve them and to further enhance family and professional partnerships. So STOMP provides services in the way of training opportunities for parents. These are non-legal trainings to support parent advocacy of their loved ones with disabilities. And we do that all virtually, compliments of the pandemic, but it has also allowed us to reach across the globe in an easier, more effective way that's also more inclusive for parents with children with disabilities in order for them to attend and take part. I love that you highlight those words access and collaboration. Today's podcast is called Claiming Your Seat at the Table. And we decided on this title because often parents don't know that they can, and really not only that they can, but that they are a vital part of the process when they're advocating for their child with exceptional needs. Based on both your personal and professional experiences, ladies, what do you think are some of the most important strategies or tools that family members should bring with them to the table? Well, you know, the advocacy journey has specific traveling tips that go with it. You've got to know your endpoint before you can get your address from the GPS. So you've got to have a goal in mind and an idea of where you want to go. You need to know the rules of the road around you. And that means knowing the laws and the regulations that have to do with what you're advocating for. And in some cases, that's knowing your TRICARE plan and understanding what it does and doesn't cover. Being aware of the other drivers on the road it takes knowing that other people have emotions and that they are feeling things and their life experience, their baggage, their goals and checkpoints are also going to factor into their contact with you. It's going to impact your advocacy. So being mindful of that and the baggage on both sides of the table. We're also aware that other cars speak different languages. In the military, we speak in acronyms, and those acronyms are not the same as those of our civilian counterparts, nor is it the same as those of special educators. They also speak in acronyms and terminology. So asking for that information, breaking it down when we speak and asking when they speak can help to improve and develop a common culture to improve those advocacy efforts. 
and being mindful that respect is a universal language. It doesn't matter what culture you come from, respect is important. Lastly, I would say as far as that advocacy journey, that detours happen. Sometimes what you're going for may be able, maybe a goal that looks a little different when it's finalized, but do you reach the same destination even if that path looks different and can it be equally effective? Those are some of the things I would say. How about you, Jolyn? Dee, I think you summarized that really well um, in terms of equating advocacy to a journey. I also think that some of the best practices that parents can utilize or implement is to just remember who the star of the show is, and that's your child. Everything that you do is to support them, to provide them with um, the appropriate services that they need to be successful. I think another key tip is for parents to become familiar and acquainted with the key players in the game. And those key players, they're everyone that's surrounding your child from your medical personnel to the individuals that provide support services, your teachers, your instructors, staff and administrators to become familiar with their name and their contact information to form a relationship because that's what you're doing. You're forming a working relationship as you're navigating this journey. It is absolutely fundamental for parents to know their rights. You can't advocate for those rights if, if you're not familiar with them, if it's not second language to you. And, and you have a responsibility to always be active in the learning process. You do that by, you know, reading websites, asking how services are funded, research, asking questions, constantly asking questions. And then it's also fundamental to just join advocacy groups for other parents, connect with those support groups and those family-led organizations to gain more knowledge. Being affiliated with the military organization is key. That's just kind of how we live our lives. But with regards to advocating for your child, it is unbelievably valuable to be well organized, to keep your records, to put everything in writing, to always make a copy and to not assume that the person on the other side of the table has all those documents or has the information that you hope they have. Be prepared to represent that information, you know, keep notes and, and keep a logbook of who you talk to and when, and then utilize effective communication, clear communication, um, your tone, the words that you're using, be consistent, write your questions down, put things in writing when you're communicating with organizations and agencies and individuals. Follow up. If you have a phone conversation, follow up that conversation with an email so that you're almost layering your communication, always keeping the needs of the child as the priority and the focus, and then stay positive. And I know that that can be difficult when we encounter challenges or, or um, for lack of a better phrase, speed bumps along the way, but stay positive because your attitude is going to be reflected in that attitude um, of the individuals that are around you. Be prepared to encounter situations where you may be in opposition and sometimes you have to agree to disagree, but stay positive and stay centered that you're focusing on the needs of your child. Jolyn, I'm so glad that you shared. I think those are excellent 
best practices for advocacy. And, and I recently had the pleasure of attending a STOMP training recently on advocacy, and I learned so much. And one thing that you recommend to parents is that they should be prepared to tell their child's story. And you have a really effective process for doing that. I think that's very helpful to parents. Would you mind sharing that process with our listeners? Absolutely. Thank you. So when you're telling your child's story, it's almost like you're going through the writing process. We equate this in our workshop. We equate telling your child's story to actually being a professional writer. And no one knows, for lack of a better phrase, the main character, your child, better than you do. And that your child is the person that's at the center of the story. You're going to illustrate your story by just describing everything about your child's experience, you know, their medical history, their emotional um, journey, their development, what their likes and dislikes are. You're going to illustrate that story as colorfully and as effectively as possible because you're painting a picture for every person that comes into contact with your child and you're bringing humanity to their situation. Um, when you encounter a conflict, then that's the problem that you're advocating to overcome on behalf of your child. And you can't assume that other people are as aware of that conflict as you are. And then we suggest that you provide a solution that you don't just come to the table and go, here's the problem, but come to the table, present the problem, and also provide an actionable response or a goal that's gonna be a solution to that problem so that you show that you're not just bringing a complaint, you're also bringing a possible solution. And then um, we also describe in this process that the hook of the story is the part that makes this person and their struggle relatable. You want to make your child and your personal situation as relatable to the other individuals at the table as possible. And you know, I tell a personal story to kind of break this down, I served for many years as a special education teacher, and I actually had the pleasure of teaching at the same school that my children attended. One of our children was ADHD. And while this particular child did not have a formal IEP, we just didn't at that time, I was able to convey to the teachers that this child was a dual listener. And so the problems that they were encountering in the classroom could be resolved in a really simple way just by allowing this child to read a book in the classroom while instruction was going on because they could hear what was going on while they were reading and that would prevent them talking out of turn that would prevent them from being you know physically active or engaging the students around them i was able to do that because i was in that environment and had a working relationship with the teachers, so they took me at my word. I think that's really fundamental. You can share what works for your child when you cultivate that relationship and you tell their story. I think that's so important. I love what you said about bringing concerns, but also bringing solutions and sharing that knowledge of your child to, to help everyone come to effective strategies that are going to be supportive of that child. I know I found it helpful when going to an IEP meeting for my daughter to bring a list of questions that I want to be sure to ask. But I love this idea of telling my child's story because it brings the focus back to the child and their strengths and their needs. And it really highlights the parent as being a voice for that child at the table. So 
However, we all know that advocating for our loved ones can be a difficult process. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges that maybe are unique to our military families who are going through this process? And maybe you could share a challenge that you have experienced with your child. Everyone's challenges are different, but I think some of the similarities that military families face are just the constant transition and the turnover that we have in terms of the relationships that we develop with the individuals who are working with our children and who are meeting the needs of our children. And when we transition, it's almost like you're starting from scratch again, because you have to locate those services, you have to get established, and then you have to cultivate those relationships all over again. And you have to tell your child's story all over again. And it can be discouraging sometimes. I think parents can be like, okay, here we go again, but you cannot lose that passion. You can't lose that drive. Um, you can't get apathetic. And it's sometimes it's easy to do, especially when there's a lot going on. I definitely think that's one of the, the key challenges that parents face. I think Dee um, would love to interject here. You know me so well, Jolyn. Couldn't agree more with everything you just said. And just listening and thinking this through as we have this conversation today, I'm also thinking about those frequent um, upheavals that come with military movement. So one of the challenges we've encountered is deployments. <laughs> it is just a fact of life for us, and it is for many families. Um, but with those deployments, you also have emotional impacts on the child. And you have a student that may be doing perfectly fine. They may have disabilities or uh, challenges that would not otherwise meet the need for an IEP. But all of a sudden, you have a deployment and now we have emotional impacts and those emotional impacts carry over to behavior. Well, in those instances, something that most of us did not know going into this and that many parents don't know even now is that a student may receive mental health and behavioral health supports under a 504 plan or an IEP, depending on how their school district manages these things. And so looking at not only the PCS element, the relocation, but also the movement of the military and how that impacts the family, which then goes into impacting school and behavior, and that carries over to all areas of life for our students. So I, I see that as a common issue. Mental health is obviously a big issue that has a great big spotlight on it. Compliments once again to the pandemic, but it was a pre-existing issue that is now getting the attention it deserves. And there are options available that are covered by IDEA, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, for students that have an individualized education program, an IEP. However, there are also options that can be put into a 504 plan in order to support students that have a disability that do not have an adverse impact or a negative impact on their education under other circumstances. So it's another tool, it's another resource that's out there that we may not note until the challenges of that military movement. And I'm sorry, that was a long answer, but you really piqued me with that one. Uh, it's a good one. <laughs> no, no, I think that's great. And I think that making parents aware that there are options out there, that there is 
some ways to access services through a 504, that it's not just an IEP and getting that message out to parents, I think is really valuable. And again, circling back to what you mentioned about a challenge for our military families is that continuity of services when they are moving, when they're PCSing, and especially when it comes to some of those specialized services, uh, such as ABA. Jolynn, did you have something you wanted to add? Well, I just wanted to interject that one of the things we talk about in our advocacy presentation is developing that solid circle of care. And that goes beyond just having those medical professionals and those academic professionals involved in your child's life. It's having those friends, extended family, or having those parents present. And as Dee touched on that in terms of deployments, I think for our military families, sometimes um, if you have a child who has exceptionalities, you can feel a little isolated. And when we transition and we lose that support system and that circle of care, we have to be very intentional to redevelop that and be vulnerable and bring those people back into our life because we can't do this alone. Absolutely. And I think it's such an important topic that we are going to dive into that more in the second part of the podcast. So I hope our listeners will join us for that as well and exploring how to access some of those continuity of care, continuity of support for both caregivers and parents and children as well. So we hope that you will join us for the second part of the podcast. But before we end today's podcast, would you ladies like to highlight some of your favorite resources that can be found at your Stomp website? Of course. Um, as you can tell, <laughs> we are passionate about supports and resources for the student and for the family. So absolutely, we'd love to highlight some things. We have prepared an advocacy toolkit. It's something to keep in your rucksack, so to speak, and it includes things like links to resources for those common military-related issues, things that you would find regarding autism care demonstration or Dodea school districts, ECHO, of the extended care health option, services, and how to qualify, whether you're eligible. So some information on that sort of thing, as well as some very practical resources. Child-friendly mindfulness videos. There's a series that we will link you to that was put out by our Parent Training and Information Center, as we said, we're a project underpaid, and they are all about helping families as well. And we've used these mindfulness videos at home with our nine-year-old on the autism spectrum, and it's a great opportunity to self-regulate and to calm down with one another. So they can be used either apart from the child or with the child, and it has benefits for both parent and children. Another thing that is helpful for the family at large, parent and child, is respite care. And because there are so many options out there, whether it is the military-specific, the branch-specific, available to you through EFMP if you are eligible, or respite care out in the community, there are some big questions, starting with, what is it? <laughs> How do I use it? When is it appropriate to schedule respite care? Do I qualify for it? Well, we can't answer all of the questions because some of those are geographic or branch specific. We can answer what it is, how to use it, what to look for in a respite caregiver and how to interview them. Some resources that we're taking from another paid program that works with Lifespan under a national program. So once again, trying to connect you with those. And then one of my other favorites from that list is 
we have some videos that are quick tips and stories from advocates, whether they are self-advocates who are teens that have gone through that transition of becoming their own medical self-advocates, or adults talking about ways to quick start your advocacy. So we've got some great stuff in that rucksack pack, and we will have a link for you. Thank you, uh, MSEC, Military Child Education Coalition, for letting us share that through you. We're happy to plug in families anytime. Absolutely. And, and you have me at the word quick. I think a lot of parents, right? Busy lives. And so I love that you have those quick tips and quick advocacy you know, sort of things to put in your parenting toolbox. So I love that. And you do have such a wealth of resources. And, and ladies, I think that one way MSEC can support Stomp's efforts on behalf of our military families is to share your wonderful resources and webinars that support your training to highlight that need for awareness and equitability for all of those with exceptional needs and to continue to empower our military families in their vital role as advocates. Thank you so much, Dee and JoLynn, for coming today and for sharing Stomp's mission, as well as some fantastic resources and advocacy strategies. And I do look forward to continuing our discussion. I'm glad we're not ending it here. I love talking to you ladies uh, for part two of the podcast, and we will be focusing on ABA, the Applied Behavior Analysis, and also navigating the TRICARE system. For our our listeners, we will include links to Stomp, including that link that Dee mentioned about the advocacy toolkit, as well as information resources that support families advocating on behalf of their family member with exceptional needs. And before we close out, I do encourage you to keep this conversation going so that we can ensure that our military families have the tools and the resources necessary to feel empowered to claim their seat at the table. You've been listening to the MSEC podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. Thank you again to the Naval Officers Spouses Club of San Diego for their generous support of this podcast. Until next time, live a great story.